Hello and welcome to Our Rural Medley. This series of podcasts will focus on interviewing rural hospital doctors around New Zealand, exploring the medley of our working environments in Aotearoa, the perks, the challenges, the solutions tried, tested, and now installed into our rural settings. The aim is to allow you to get a sense of the diversity of rural New Zealand medical settings from afar and hear of people. Let's call it armchair networking. Hear how it is done somewhere else. How did they solve that conundrum? And then you may think of implementing that in your locality. Or it may just give you a burst of a couple of Kiwi doctors chatting about rural New Zealand medicine over a cup of tea. I am Lucinda Thatcher, a Rural Hospital Medicine Fellow with Dual Fellowship in General Practice. Currently, I'm working in Gisborne as a GP. While keeping my hand in the rural hospital arena by coordinating postgraduate CME for rural hospital doctors through the University of Otago's section of rural health. I am chatting with Steve Withington, a Rural Hospital Medicine Fellow in Ashburton, and we are going to explore Ashburton and the transformation there of their medical services. Welcome, Steve, and thanks for being the first one up. Kia ora, Lucinda. Kia ora, Kota. Tell me about how you came to be in Ashburton and a little bit about your Rural Hospital Medicine Fellowship. Yeah, well, um, I trained initially as a physician uh, with a particular interest in infectious disease. And around about 2004, I came back to New Zealand having spent eight years in rural Bangladesh. Well, some of it rural and some of it urban and working there with people with leprosy and tuberculosis. And I wasn't sure where to plug in, to be honest, because I was a bit sort of stranged out and a bit uh, disconnected and not really uh, fully au fait with the way the New Zealand system worked. So um, we were just having a month out on the Canterbury Plains, enjoying the end of a long, hot summer. We borrowed someone's place and um, looking after their cat and their trees and their lovely house. And... um, the neighbour invited us over for a drink in a spa, you know, as you do in rural. And yeah. uh, and so we're sitting there in this, uh, you know, this spa pool and and, and he says, he's, he's an anaesthetist. And he said, oh, actually, we've got space for a physician in Ashburton. Um, you know, why don't you put your name in the hat there? And, and so I did. And, you know, that's the way my connection with Ashburton started. Um, we... Uh, I still live in Christchurch, but have done a whole lot of time on that very straight road between Christchurch and Ashburton, and have been there more or less ever since. But after a few years, uh, it became apparent that Ashburton had a few challenges for sustainability in you know in the mix of its future. So I went down the grandparenting route to RHM training, and after another three-year spell in rural Bangladesh. I came back and plugged in as an RHM and have been there ever since. Oh, so you so you worked in Ashburton and then you went over back over to Bangladesh and then came back and did your rural hospital medicine training. I'd kind of done it before I went to Bangladesh for the second time. Right. Uh, because which was really helpful because it was a it was a rural hospital. It was three years, it was full on trying to, you know, put my hand to a lot of different things. Uh, yeah. pediatrics, pregnant, pregnant mums. Not that I was involved in the deliveries, but, you know, a lot of sick women with, with um, eclampsia, preeclampsia, a lot of kids with all sorts of things that we don't really see here and the full spectrum of, of medicine and, you know, BD. So anyway, it was it was really helpful over there. Uh, but when I came back, yeah, the physician hat is on 
very, very little. It's basically like everyone else in Ashburton, I'm an RHM and enjoy that generalist space. Yeah, fabulous. And I'm sure Ashburton enjoys having you there. So tell me about, you've alluded to some of it briefly, but in Ashburton over the last sort of 10 years, there has been quite a change in the uh, health delivery model. Can you describe what was, what is now, and the process that got you there? Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's quite. I mean, it's quite a complicated process. A ten-year journey we talk about from a secondary specialist hospital to a rural generalist medical model of care. So at the beginning, you know, I was one of four physicians. We had three general surgeons, and they were very general in those days, uh, and four part-time anaesthetists. And we had five or six, uh, I was going to say RMOs, but really MOSs who, who would, you know, look after the day-by-day things and would be the first port of call for people coming through the front door. So that was where we started and we were doing mostly elective surgery, some acute uh, and looking after inpatients as you do. Looked after palliative care. We had a rehab ward. We, we looked after some long-term hospital care patients as well. So that was the start. And about 2007, 2008, the, the journey began, began in earnest towards a rural generalist model. And I say in earnest, but it took 10 years because it does take a while, doesn't it? You know, you've got to have a training of people who are you know, willing to move towards rural generalism, got to have some kind of mm, mode of, uh, of, of transition, of, of, of handover during that period. And then along the way, you know, you suddenly get jolts and jerks where a whole service is under strain because you know, someone leaves and then that whole service is, is somewhat jeopardized. But the situation now is we have a fully rural generalist model. We have six full-time equivalent SMOs who are all RHM trained. We've got nine RMOs. We don't do elective uh, or acute surgery for that matter. Um, but we do a lot of ED type work. We do some primary care after hours from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, we do more procedures and you know relevant sedation for them than we would have done before. And we continue to look after really sick medical and sometimes surgical patients, as long as they don't need a, need a knife, as well as um, you know the rehab, the palliative, and the, those long-term care patients. We still look after. And you know, the number of people coming through the door during that period has pretty much doubled. Hospital admissions themselves relatively stable because we managed to get most people, you know, back out into the community quickly. Length of stays decreased and we've looked into it in some detail that transfers have remained stable. So they haven't gone up uh, just because we haven't got any surgeons anymore. They've, they've remained stable and that's despite having a lot more people, you know, presenting to the hospital itself. Details of, of exactly how that happened, uh, you know, we, we published in a paper in the New Zealand Medical Journal beginning of 2020, if people are keen, keen to look into it. But it, it's basically a sustained commitment over a, over a long period of time to take that journey, uh, which required quite a lot of commitment from medical staff and management, as well as community who supported it and, you know, the rest of our, of our, of our health team in Ashburton. Yeah, you mentioned that article, Steve, and I will link it up onto the onto our Leaning on the Fence Post uh, website, but that's called Transition of Medical Model of Care at Ashburton Hospital Over 10 Years, the Perspective of Rural Generalists. And it certainly sounds like there was, and I, th- I agree with you, I think you can't change a model of care without having the buy-in of 
all those facets, can you? The medical team, the supportive management team and the community. Uh, and having, I don't live, I never lived in Ashburton, but I did live at Grap and Peel Forest, which isn't too far from Ashburton. So I, I certainly understand the psyche of the rural people of Ashburton and mid Canterbury. And I'm sure they are very, very grateful uh, for the care that you provide there. So that is fabulous. So Steve, tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that you experienced and the drivers for the change that you encountered during this process that you allude to in this paper. Yeah, and I mentioned briefly, didn't I, that that sometimes people leave and you're quite dependent on a small Mm. number. And of course, that's a major driver for change, isn't it? Rural health workforce is something that we wrestle with every day in our rural hospitals. And when I arrived, you know, it's hard looking at me now, hard to, hard, to, hard to know that I was one of the younger SMOs back in those days. We had an aging SMO workforce who were on the verge of retirement. And some people, some people lose their hair, Steve, in their, twi- in their 20s. Sorry, that, no. That's right. And it did start for me then. But it's gone on a pace. But, you know, it's difficult to recruit um, true general surgeons, isn't it? You know, once, mm. once, uh, once a, a, there were lots of generalist surgeons and now everyone's subspecialized. And we had uh, three uh, very general surgeons and they were all nearing retirement. And of course, the anaesthetists, you know, together, that's a, that's a team not, not operating on their own. Uh, so the, the workforce and the age of the workforce was a major issue. We had dependence on individual specialists within that group for credentialing, particularly in the anaesthetic service. And so that made it really difficult when, when one, of the, one of these uh, who happened to be the one in the spa, you know, re- resigned, retired, then, you know, suddenly the whole service becomes vulnerable. And um, it's not just the SMOs. We had some difficulty in recruiting RMOs and because we were a certain distance from Christchurch and that distance fell out of the routine distance where, according to the RDA contract, you could be you know, posted for a run. And that was quite tricky in the early days. So uh-huh. we had an increasing reliance on uh, mosses and, and locums. And of course, if they're locums rather than permanent mosses, then, then there's, you know, there's a price tag, uh, which again yes. had a challenge for, for the management. Sadly, money often comes into it, doesn't it? Indeed, indeed, uh, and yeah, obviously that, that you know that's an ongoing issue. If you're going to transition, is it going to be more expensive, less expensive, same? How do you how do you do that? Uh, 2011, some of you may remember, we had a, an earthquake in our parts, mm. and that was felt in Ashburton. As far as we knew, it didn't particularly affect our all, or well, by no means all of our um, hospital, but there were some parts that were closed down and indeed demolished. And one thing that we didn't expect at the time was that we lost our theatre. It appeared to be fine. It didn't appear to have changed. And in fact, it was used more, not less, immediately post-earthquake until the structural engineers went through and decided and discovered that it wasn't up to the new code. So then it got shut down. And, you know, once you shut down a service, it is very hard to start it up again and certainly not in a short time. So that was a big issue. We saw on the positive side... You know, we saw an opportunity. We saw an opportunity for RHM training that has been pioneered by people like Gary and Cardi and others over the years. You know, the, the RHM training has 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 come into being. We thought, well, why not? You know, some of our our our, our mosses who'd been around for a long time, 
you know, were keen to go down that pathway for uh, for training, and they could see they could see a road at the end of that. Uh, so long as the management, everyone was committed to that. So you know, that was a road that they could choose. We we had support, of course, from the SMO workforce to go down that road and to transition toward that road and really strong management support for that over the years and changes in management. Um, as you mentioned, it's really important to have it, you know, basically the full team on board. And and that included the community as well, who stumped up quite a lot of money to replace, you know, some of the the uh, facilities that had that had come down or had fallen below spec. Uh, but but also, you know, you need the community to say yes, that's okay. We believe in this change, rather yeah. than you know be with placards and protests. Uh, so that was those were some of the drivers for change. We can all see how niggly a uh, protest can end up, can't we? Recently, yeah, that's right. So, that, that's right. Avoiding a protest is all good, Steve. One of the challenges that you had was around the perception and the credibility of the rural hospital medicine as a scope of practice and. I was one of the first intake of the Rural Hospital Medicine Registrars when it first up started, when you talk about uh, Cardi and Gary and, and the crew starting that up. And so I think all of us have kind of experienced this at the beginning. How did you and do you continue to deal with that? What, how, how have you, I suppose it'd be quite interesting also to discuss from the perception from your SMOs in Christchurch and your referral process, has there been changes within that aspect as well? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This is an issue that I don't think uh, about so much at all now. But of course, it was a very live issue early on when we first started training and, you know, when the first few RHM fellows in Ashburton, you know, rolled, rolled you know, rolled off the training mm. um, platform into, into, into their new job as a new consultant with a new qualification. And how is that perceived? And, uh, you know, do, they have to, of course, weigh up, do we go down that pathway? And then you reach that, okay, how do I mix? How do I act as a consultant? How do I, how do I interact with the other consultants up the road? And, but to be honest now, I don't think we, forget, we think about it that much. So how do we, do we get to this point? I, a simple word for me is engagement, you know, oh. to, just not to do our own thing in our own place only, but to engage in common spaces so that people who are not in our space understand better who we are and what we do and what skills we have and what knowledge we have and, and what space we fill and hopefully start to think about what if they weren't there or anyway, we, we build up a relationship um, yeah. with, you know, there's a direct relationship. It is over the phone. And of course those, you know, you build up a relationship over time, over the phone, through the referrals that you send and that you don't send, uh, but also in person, in meetings, whether it's grand rounds, whether it's departmental meetings. Some of our uh, SMO fellows attend the ED meeting. I attend the ID meetings. Our clinical director attends the chiefs and chairs meetings. So at the, whether it's at management level, whether it's at teaching level, whether it's at service provision level, and in that sort of day-to-day -day grit of, who you're going to send and and mm. what sort of kind of questions you ask and 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 I think over time I'm sure I might say we've you know built up a level of confidence from Christchurch in what we do in Ashburton and the system you know works pretty smoothly. It it helps that we we've only got one referral hospital. It helps that we operate under a shared sort of hospital health pathway. So there's not no there's not mm. too much room for 
mm, turf wars no i don't want that patient thanks very much because it says in your pathway you know this this is the sort of, this is the sort of person that we will send your way so i think that that's for me that's that, that's the word it's it's engagement and engagement particularly with those that along natural lines where we interact most frequently with pediatrics with the emergency department with the icu with general surgery general medicine um, orthopedic. So that, those, you know, the specialties with with whom we particularly interact. Uh, yeah, as I say, I don't really think about those those issues anymore. I think the credibility has been established. I suspect too, with the stability of the workforce you've now got, has allowed you to continue to develop those relationships. And as you say, relationships on many levels allows that respect and that ongoing relationships to continue. So I think that's fabulous for you guys and should continue, shouldn't it? Yeah, I think you're right, Lucinda. I hadn't actually thought about that too much. But while we have had a couple of new folk join our SMO team, well, I say new, there's, there's certainly one in the last year, but uh, but prior to that, maybe four or five years ago, there are some of us who have been around since 2005, 2006. And, and so, yeah, that, that longevity does help build those relationships over time. And hopefully a few, many more years yet, Steve. So yeah, that's right. Quite, yeah, that's right. I wanted to talk about enhanced generalism. And I think, you know, it's regarding generalism in a, as, a, as a term. And you mentioned this in that article, generalism, and you look at the definition of that. And then enhanced generalism, which is I, I think is what rural hospital is, isn't it? That we have different uh, skill sets that we have and we've enhanced those through training and relationships and going different places with that. Can you talk a little bit more around your perspective and your um, experience of enhanced generalism? Hmm, thank you. I, I, I'll just put, mention, yeah. not that I think that's the heart of the question, but I'll mention that we still have visiting specialists. They, they kind of support the generalist environment that we provide where, you know, everyone who comes through the door we have a plan for, or we will find a plan for, or we'll find a place for. But we have some visitor, visiting specialists, and they run clinics, and they do some procedures, some scopes, urology, gynae, and we have some some uh, physicianally specialists to visit as well, palliative care, working in the community, sometimes visiting inpatients, psychogeriatrics, geriatrics, and that's you know that's that's operating around the core that we provide. But that core is very much generalist. Our local SMOs, as I mentioned, they are all RHMs. And we try and provide a high level of advanced care at ED level. And I think we do pretty well. We try and keep ourselves upskilled, updated, close relationship with Christchurch, with other ED people, try and get MRAP on, you know, on our on our <laughs> yeah, on our podcast, on our feed. And and we do a lot of procedures, you know, things that we can manage, we'll give them a shot. Uh, yeah. and and we we try and keep locally people that we can including some very sick people to try and transfer only those who need to be and we've because we you know transitioned from a secondary to a generalist we were used to managing relatively mm. sick you know medical inpatients anyway and we've just sort of continued to do that and uh, and then been upskilled and just given each other the confidence that we can do this and not taken the closeness to Christchurch as an out Okay, they, they, you know, we'll send them up the road, they're so close. Rather, keep it as an in, and we can consult with them. And if things go west, we can we can transfer them. 
And so, you know, as a result, we, we are keeping most people, keeping them close to home, keeping our skills maintained in that regard, particularly in the ED and the inpatient environment, which is, of course, is mostly inpatient medicine, rather than inpatient pediatrics. We, it's rare that we'll keep a, a child for longer than 24 hours. But for inpatient mm-hmm. adult medicine and ED, we, we try and it's an advanced scope. And it, you know, it, it's a reasonably high skill level and we need each other. And we do support each other, and we share our own, our, you know, our own knowledge and skills. Some of the, some of my colleagues are particularly strong in ED, some in pediatrics, some in orthopedics, some in rehab and geriatrics. I run a general medicine clinic, ID clinic, and therefore we, you know, we share across our group as well as consult up the road, and we discuss together. Okay, how do we develop our new skills? And some of those come from being involved in training programs. Uh, there's there's quite a few of us in Ashburton who are involved as APLS instructors. I don't know why they asked asked me to do that. It is way outside my comfort zone. (laughs) Very much an adult physician. But I really enjoy, you know, being an APS instructor. And every time I learn something, no doubt more than the, you know, the trainees. It's really helpful, isn't it, to upskill when you have to read the manual again every time and and, then work through the training. They even asked me to be an EMST instructor. I'm I'm quite glad I didn't take that one off. But, um, yeah, that would be very weird. (laughs) That would be very weird, but but at least one of my colleagues is, and some of us have taken taken some of the team have taken up being prompt instructors. So again, for those you know maternity mm. and, and childbirth, really tricky tricky situations. So we're trying to upskill so that we can we can we can manage those rare and uh, particularly hairy situations when they come. Most of us have trained in ultrasound to some degree to be able to offer that because we only have formal sonography once a week. And um, you know, again, that means a trip up the road and maybe we can uh, avoid that. And we also mm-hmm. have some involvement in research. I, I've, I've been involved in you know, a few research projects based, in, based out of the Rural Health Academic Centre in Ashburton and allied with the University of Otago, both in Dunedin and in Christchurch. There has got to be a benefit of the team. And I, I suspect that it sounds like you have allowed people to develop skills within areas of interest for them. And then you utilize those skills as a team to enhance the care of the patients that you have within your team. Are most people coming in at your work every day or how does sort of like a general day work? Like say if you have a patient that's an obstetric case or a pediatric case and say the pediatric doc with the special interest in peds isn't there that day, do they tend to come in each morning or how does your sort of general day work? Great question. I'll, 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 I'll slightly put maternity. Lots to, in there. <laughs> there's lots in there. I'll put maternity slightly to one side because we do operate as a you know primary birthing unit and our, our midwifery team. They are looking after you know the day by day routine, and most of that we never see except right. when things go west, and then we yes. get involved, which is mm. a bit uncomfortable for all of us, mm. of course. And of us. not infrequently, the chopper gets called, and we we still don't get involved um, because right. things are okay, but could be threatened. But um, for all those other things, no, after hours, you know, w- there's one RMO and there's one yep. SMO. So right. it's, it's whoever's on. But mm. during hours, we will share our skills around depending on the need. And maybe it's just an extra pair of hands or maybe it's someone with particular, I'll think about who's on. Oh, I'll, I'll call this person or that person to, you know, to give a hand because I know that they're really interested in this sort of procedure. Or, or really good at getting lines into little babies where we're having trouble. You know, they, you know when in the rare situation when that happens. Mm. Uh, so, mm. so yes, there, there is team support and we really value it. We actually structured around teams. So we have three teams. 
Team ABC, and that, that's made up of either two SMOs or three. Some are very SMOs are part-time, like me. Some are full-time. But there's either two or three SMOs in a team. And each team will have one registrar who may be on the rural training program or may not be, and one usually a PGY2 RMO. And so for everyone who's under my name, under my team, and there are two other consultants, there's a, there's a registrar or an RMO who will be looking after them when we're not around. And so, so it's a sort of a shared thing. That's true for my colleagues. And we will cover each other's patients when they're not around. So that's, that's true for inpatients. On, a, on an acute day, on an acute day, so if I'm the acute SMO on, I'll come, in, I'll come in at eight, we'll get a handover from, you know, who's waiting in the department and who sick people might be around from the day before. But then I will, um, you know, basically for the next 24 hours, anyone who comes in will come in under my name and under my team's name. They'll be seen in the ED. I'll go and see them if I have to. I'll get up in the middle of the night if I have to, but there'll be an RMO who will be basically there. There'll be a night RMO. There'll be someone doing the long day. They will be the first port of call and they'll call me if they're worried or they'll call me um, if they're going to admit someone uh, unless it's really straightforward. And that's the way an acute day works. Throw in a fracture clinic there. We always do a fracture clinic on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Last a few hours, people that don't need to be up the road in an orthopedic uh, clinic they, that we can manage for their ongoing casting and decisions about um, changing casts and removing casts mm -hmm. and, and moon boots and so forth. So we, we we do that. We do that routinely. That's an acute day, and they're pretty full on. And you know, numbers are, numbers have been increasing. Uh, and weekends, it's really full on. So we've got a bit of extra help from ED fellows in Christchurch who come for 10 hours on Saturday and 10 hours on Sunday. That's really helpful to our RMOs and to us. And so we you know, managed to get through a weekend because a weekend for us is Friday through until Monday morning. That's a long time. So it's mm. great to have some extra pairs of hands to make sure that that's, that's doable and it's manageable. Post-acute is post-acute. I mean, we'll see as many as we get. And on a normal day, that would be about averaging about eight or nine admissions, of course, some of whom can go home and some of whom will have to stay for a bit longer. I mean, one or two of those might be a transfer from Christchurch for a, for a rehab process after a, after an orthopedic or other procedure. And then thankfully, some days we're not on, acute, or not on, uh, on acute or and not post-acute. And we, you know, we can do some more non-clinical things, uh, whether that's teaching or research or audits or, you know, all those other things that, that need to be done. Or just doing it, you know, a, a post-acute, uh, sorry, not a post-acute, but an around on the people that are in under our name. So we kind of cover, it's not as if we divide up our time. Okay, this week I'm on ED, next week I'm on the ward. Basically, we're all, we've always got our own patients. Yeah. When, when we're on call, we're on call for the whole hospital for that 24 hours. Um, right. We've got colleagues around from, you know, eight to four. It sounds like the ultimate kind of uh, general, generalist package. You know, you get to do the acute and then you get to manage them once they're in the hospital and then add in a bit of research and a bit of teaching and the team. Oh, it sounds exciting. I love it. You uh, obviously have a two-tier workforce in terms of the seniors and the juniors. And I just want to touch on briefly around the pluses and minuses of this and tell me about your experience in having this system because there's certainly areas around New Zealand where you just have one doctor, you know, who's on and that's it. And there might be people who are looking to have trainees within their workforce. Are you able to talk around the pluses and minuses of this, Steve? 
Yeah, that's a really, it's a big one, isn't it? And, and it was a, a big part of weighing up the decision of moving to rural generalism. Do we go to a, a two-tier workforce with trainees or do we have a single tier where everyone's mm. in RHM, maybe doing different roles, but everyone's in RHM? And we decided to go for this two-tier system. And there are pluses and minuses. You know, I think, start off with the big picture. The, the big picture plus is we need more doctors involved in rural. Yeah. And, you know, we need nine RMOs uh, for every every run that we do. Like the regs, of course, do six months, but the PGY2s, they're doing three months. And so what mm. that means is that every three months, there's another, you know, six PGY2s that have some exposure to rural. And some mm. of them will go on to become rural GPs and some of them will go on to become RHMs. And at least we hope that all of them will go on to have an appreciation of the work that's done in rural hospitals wherever they end up. So in the Absolutely. big picture, we think it's really important to have that kind of dedicated training environment. And it is. And we take training really seriously. And we do a lot of that training by you know, simulation-based education where, again, the community is invested in these um, you know, high-fidelity mannequins in a sim center. So we can, we can do that you know, lifelike high-fidelity scenarios with our team to help build up their confidence for managing things locally. And we hope it adds to their appreciation of the, you know, the package of, of time that they spend in Ashburton. We also, you know, started extending that training in other ways. RMIP has been added in the last couple of years. So we've got four RMIP uh, students that come through. Can you just say what RMIP is? So it stands for Rural Medicine Integrated Programme. So it's basically a year. They do their, their fifth year of medical school and they don't do it in an urban centre moving around different departments. They're based in a rural centre and they're based in rural general practice and there are several practices that are partnering with us and they're based in the hospital need. They do basically two of them uh, do a period of time with us and in general practice and then they swap around and they swap around, they swap around. So they have a, you know, they have a good year based in rural and so they can follow people through their journey through primary care, hospital care. Sometimes they follow them up the road to see what happens in tertiary care as well. Uh, so, so for the last couple of years, we've had four students coming through. So again, at that early stage, try to engage our, our medical students in, in rural. Uh, and we know that, that that makes a big difference uh, as to whether they end up in rural in the long term, which we're pretty keen on. Uh, I mean, I suppose for, for, for me and my, my point as, a, as an SMO, what does it mean to have an RMO after hours and a team of a RMO and a registrar during yeah. hours? Obviously, it means potentially after hours, you know, less hands-on, less time and unpleasant shift work. Um, yeah. But also, we would do a longer on-call, and so potentially being called after hours, potentially being called overnight, which... You know, that can be tricky in the middle of the night when you're not at your best. You know, we're all, we've all done it in training, mm. but do you want to keep doing yeah. it? And how much do you want to keep doing it as an SMO? But it also means a move to an advising, a coaching role, a mentoring role, modeling, and, a, and, and very much a team environment. And uh, for me, that's, that's the way I, I kind of imagine medicine to be. So, I, so I'm a big advocate for that, you know, that, 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 that coaching, that mentoring um, the team environment and you know there is a really it's, it's a great it's it's great to develop those relationships with our rmo teams and our smo teams and it's 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 sad to see them go when they move on after three months or six months 
they enjoy their time together. Most of them are staying all in one big house. And uh, so lots of funny stories coming out of hijinks they get up to, whether it's in the house or in the happy hour or in the, you know, up on the mountain doing snowboarding or going to Redale or horse riding and falling off here and there. And it's it, it's fun. And you it, can live a little bit vicariously through them, Steve. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> what are you getting at? <laughs> but, you know, so there's a lot of joking from us to them and from them to us. And, and one of the fun things was that there was a, an earlier group that came through, you know, not that long after we'd, we'd started this new system. And shortly after I got back from overseas the, first, the second time, they, they wrote this story for the RMOs in, in, in Christchurch about people who were thinking of coming to Ashburton. Oh, yeah. and so they had this, it was public, but it was a little bit. <laughs> it, it, it described a caricature of the, of the different consultants, the SMOs who were working in Ashburton. In quite colourful terms, and it was it was fun, it was fun, and it just sort of described the kind of banter and the relationship that we have when we work together during during their time, and it can't have done too much harm because we we, we routinely have uh, plenty of people putting up their hands to to, to join us for training, and maybe, mostly maybe we, the feedback has been really good. Maybe we should put that up on leaning on the face fence post too. The caricature of. Steve Worthington, is that still I, accessible? I, look, I really don't know how to access that, Lucinda. Uh, I, I might I have to do a bit of detective I'm not sure if I yeah, can find it. I could. It's too fun at the time. And yeah, no, they're, they're, they're a great bunch. I agree. There's possibly some new skills that you have to develop in terms of moving from being the hands-on in the hospital, doing the work, to being at home, in an advisory sort of role, listening to the story. I mean, that certainly is can be a change in your comfort level and it, re, it involves a degree of trust, doesn't it? But again, I, you know, I believe it, like some of your other comments, I think when we've got our comfort zone, doing things beyond our comfort zone can only allow your comfort zone to get bigger. And I, I think that's key in life and anything. So uh, you haven't mentioned many minuses at all. Have you had any downsides? All sounds pretty positive to me. Um, you know, inevitably, when when uh, a new group starts off, mm. you know, a three month run, as a PGY two, if it's your first run, and and you you in Ashburton and you are on call, you know, you're carrying a lot of responsibility, aren't mm. you? Yeah. So we will get more calls during that period of time, and we know that, and we expect that. That doesn't mean it's so easy to be, you know, woken up about something in the middle of the night that. You think, oh, actually, this is pretty straightforward, but it is part of the package, and and so there is that, and and it's nice to see the change between the beginning yeah. and the end. Not just because you don't get woken up so much, but you see the confidence developing in how how we're going to manage, how you're going to how they're going to manage the resources that they have, who they're going to call, who they're going to talk to, how they're going to get support, what kind of questions they ask, what plans they're developing for people. It's you know, it's it's a good learning. Obviously, it's a quite a steep learning curve. But I think they appreciate that, um, you know, that shift from an urban, quite sheltered environment, as you know, where there's so many layers of you mm. know, person you have to talk to and someone else ultimately is making the decision. They're making decisions. And I think, you know, they benefit from that. So long as they've got a supportive environment, we have to provide that. And to provide that, that means a little bit of, yeah, a little bit less sleep in the, in the early stages of a run. And I think actually, if you did set up, like you mentioned, the information and in, inform the new trainees around 
LPGY2, you know, uh, new people to your runs around how do you contact, what should you contact? I think that would probably reduce some of the anxiety and potentially allow them to feel more confident. I remember when I first started as a, a PGY1 in Gisborne, and for me, that was the ultimate because there was independence and I could manage things and I could do things. So for some people, suddenly moving to that rural environment where you can actually do things and you are it is fantastic. There is also that downside of where at two o'clock in the morning, you've got a chest pain and you're like, crikey, I cannot know. I don't can't work it out. But if you have a supportive team at home who are willing to come in, I think that's the key, isn't it? And as you say, it's all around expectations. And if you all have the same expectations at the beginning, then in general, the issues shouldn't be there, I would I would imagine. Yeah, um, that's right. That's that's well stated. I think, you know, it is communication verbal. It's a good set of pathways, which I'm thankful we have in the CDHB. And it's uh, a relationship. It's that relationship that you develop, you know, as your team, SMOs, RMOs. And we see each other for handover every morning. So, you know, hopefully everyone knows everyone and, and is it is able to, you know, to make the call when they have to make the call. I just love, you know, your comment around the big picture, because in terms of your rural hub there, in terms of training, as you say, potentially having people who come out, we're all, even though we do little different aspects in rural health, training people to be or get experience within rural general practice or rural hospital, we are essentially all going to be the same team caring for the same people, aren't we? So, uh, yeah, I just think that's really exciting. And we do, we need so many poor people. It's in all the time, an NZ doctor all the time talking about the lack of rural uh, health professionals. And so, yeah, exciting. Keep it up. Steve, just on the last note, I would be intrigued to know what drives you to do what you do every day. Thank you. Uh, look, you, you you know, I'll start with what you just mentioned, teaching. I love teaching. I, I, mm. I really love teaching. I enjoy it. I think my colleagues do too, you know, whether it's by the bedside or whether it's in more formal groups or particularly simulation-based education. I love it. And as you know, we're in Ashburton, we're partnered with some other colleagues around the country to run some courses and risk courses, whether trauma or medicine for for our rural GPs as well as our RHM colleagues and nursing colleagues that we work alongside in mm. in, in, in rural hospitals and in teams in, in that kind of learning environment. So so I love teaching and that that that's a big plus for me for working in Ashburton. Second, you mentioned, you know, this kind of being outside your comfort zone, that always learning. I, I, I love mm. that, that that environment of generalism. You know, you you never never mastered it. You know, you always go into your day on call knowing I'm not quite sure who's going to walk through the door. Whether you know we, we will go, but we'll we'll work it out. We'll manage it. You know that, and um, and and so to be always learning, to be to be trying to get to grips with yes, the patient that I saw yesterday, but also the one that I might see tomorrow, and to have that ongoing learning environment for my patient care, but also for for teaching. So I think that teaching and learning, teaching and learning, uh, works mm. so well in rural. Um, and we and and we have the opportunity to to work in that mindset, particularly with colleagues. So that would be my third bullet point: is is you know support that I I know I've got a supportive team of SMO colleagues um, to have those peers around and and to have the registrars coming through who you know often really switched on. They've done a lot of reading, so you know there's a 
great learning around evidence-based care and, you know, a whole lot of banter. You know, those these um, morning handovers and morning coffees are a, are a lot of fun. The hospital cafe is surprisingly good and we do get a chance to frequent it. So support, I, I guess the next is variety. And um, you know, it's not just the always learning variety. The fact that we do cover from, you know, primary care after hours, front door ED, which might be pretty straightforward, it might be really intense, procedural sedation, inpatient medicine, rehabilitation medicine, palliative care, long-term care, people with dementia, people with, you know, long-term hospital care, we've managed a bunch of those too, um, outpatient medical clinics, fracture clinics. It's it's a really broad, diverse variety of of care and and, and that pushes my buttons. That's good and in a good way. That, that, that gets me going. And finally, I guess it's the it's the sort of the engagement, if for want of a better word, across the disciplines and reaching out beyond the hospital that happens in rural because it's smaller, because it's integrated and it's integral to a community. So the engagement with management, who I know, you know, and we talk together and we don't just throw rocks, you know, we you know, we we sit down and have coffee together and engagement with the community and we meet with the community. And we chat with the community and they're interested in what's happened to the hospital. Uh, you know, I don't live there, but I feel part of the community because I've, uh, you know, I've been a part of it for such a long time. And, you know, the frequent flyers, you know, they, they're, they're my patients hmm. over many, many years. You know, see some come yeah. after 10 years. Yes, I remember when you came in with your subarachnoid or whatever it was. And, you know, with other staff and the other disciplines, nursing, allied, the cleaners that, you know, we, we know each other. We know each other by name and, um, you know, it's it's great being part of a system, a system like whole system like that. A funny story. I mean, just in terms of engagement with the community, we know we know a bit what's happening around there, and so obviously COVID has you know washed through us, and it's pretty intense at the moment. So we heard the local freezing works were having a whole lot of cases, and uh, a clinical director looked into this a bit more, and basically about ninety-seven percent of people were getting positive. And that's because they were reading the rat tests, and they saw they saw nearly everyone had this line by the C, and C <laughs> means COVID, doesn't it? So that so that everyone was everyone was so you know the 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 funny stories of life <laughs> in the community and how we get through things together is um, is pretty special. Yeah, working in rural and working in Ashburn. Isn't it? And I just think those comments, Steve, encapsulate why we do rural medicine and why we do rural hospital medicine. And I think that's fantastic. So thank you very much for your time today, Steve. Pleasure. And uh, we, I will, as I said, I will uh, post Steve's article, research article up onto Leaning on the Fence post and look forward to catching up with you next time, Steve. Thanks. Thanks very much, Lucinda. Cheers. Take care, everyone. Bye, everyone. Happy day.